Hello and welcome to the OMR Podcast International. It's me, your host, Digital Marketing Editor at OMR, Scott Peterson. Today's guest is Justin McLeod, CEO of Hinge. What's Hinge? It's a dating app that is not trying to get you a quick hookup, but instead trying to help you find the one, as evinced by its memorable tagline, Hinge, the app designed to be deleted. When Hinge was founded back in 2011, before Tinder, mind you, Online dating was still quite stigmatized, and the app went through several iterations. In fact, Justin famously ripped down a cool, hip, and pretty darn successful version of Hinge in 2015 to relaunch it as something more in tune with his grand vision. We talked about why Hinge eschews common digital metrics like engagement and retention, and which metrics it does put stock into, plus growth levers, international expansion plans, its business model, marketing strategies, and much, much more. Before, however, we get to the show, a quick bit of housekeeping. We had a few technical hiccups during the recording. Some difficulties forced a late start. We had to start over a couple times because hashtag the internet. And then we had to deal with a pretty significant lag. So please keep that in mind if anything seems disjointed. I assure you it had nothing to do with the chemistry between Justin and I. We are fine. We hit it off. And I look forward to seeing him again very soon like at next month's OMR Festival here in Hamburg, Germany, May 9th and 10th, where Justin will be speaking live and in person. If you'd like to see that, go to omr.com slash festival to get your ticket. Okay, that's the housekeeping. Now, it's showtime. I am very happy to be joined by Justin McLeod, CEO of Hinge, a dating app initially launched in 2012, relaunched in 2016, and designed to be deleted. Justin, thank you for joining the OMR podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, So... Uh, I mentioned that Hinge launched in 2012, which makes it older than Tinder, but as I hopefully we uh, will be able to establish uh, over the course of this podcast, it is not Tinder. So I think a good place to start would be with what Hinge is and what it isn't. Yeah, so Hinge, we say, is the dating app designed to be deleted. It's for people who are looking to uh, get off dating apps because they want to find their person. And we actually started in... 2012, sort of very early days, right around the same time, actually, that Tinder started. And um, it was, you know, it was born, it's, it's a much longer story, but I was, I was essentially just trying to find uh, a girlfriend. And I, uh, so I, I, I and I, and I didn't really want to join any of the dating websites that were out at the time. This is, you know, I hadn't heard mm-hmm. of Tinder, and I hadn't really been started yet. And so the original concept was to, um, it was friends of friends. I thought like, well, the next generation will use this if we sort of get away from this idea of screen names and we get away from this idea of um, filling out these very long profiles on a desktop computer, but you would make it simple and mobile and friends of friends. And uh, and a couple other people had the idea around the same time of doing something simple and mobile and streamlined, except it was even far more extreme in terms of its simplicity and um yeah and so anyway we had a good run for a few years and then it became clear that the apps that were out there that sort of broke this open for the next generation by being so simple and and easy were actually not serving the daters who wanted to find their person who wanted a little bit more depth who wanted to make sure that when Mm -hmm. they ended up on a date that it was going to be a good date because they knew enough about the person and had a sense of their values and their personality and so we 
tore down the company in, in 2016 and we rebooted it uh, mm-hmm. as the dating app designed to be deleted. And it's um, a very, very different experience than the other dating apps out there, um, really designed around effectiveness and depth for people who like want to get off dating apps. Sure. Um, one of the, but I guess um, if I'm understanding you correctly, it was kind of a, um, a victim of uh, the original iteration of Hinge was a victim of its own simplicity in that the simplicity made it easier for people that were not actually looking for love per se, but just a quick hookup, um, no judgment. Um, but it wasn't just like coinciding with what you wanted to build. Yeah, yeah. I really had an intention. I had a dual intention, which which was to make it you know, accessible to the next generation, which makes it, you know, a little bit more, less high stakes and and more streamlined. And then there were, like I said, I mean, Tinder launched at the time and I was a first time entrepreneur and reacting from uh, fear and like, how do we keep up with them? And so we ended up like copying a lot of their features. And over time, like the apps just became very, very, very similar. We had the swipe feature. People were kind of just looking at one photo and making a snap decision. And it was mm-hmm. a lot of those dynamics that I think um, weren't working for people. They worked in the sense that it was really low stakes and it kind of broke it open for the next generation. But it wasn't working because if you were really looking for your person, you wanted a little bit more information. You want a little bit more signal. Uh, you wanted higher confidence before you went out on a date that this is someone that you're really going to be interested in. Okay. But um, is it fair to say, though, um, while it wasn't working on those levels that you just sent, um, it was working on a business level. I mean, you guys had reached critical mass. You guys had finally uh, been able to to get enough funding, which wasn't always the case, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you essentially tore down a really cool, hip app at the time. Is that fair? Yeah, we we had uh, we'd we'd raised I don't know, something like twenty million dollars in funding at that point, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had good momentum, especially in big cities. But, you know, at the time, uh, there, like, Tinder was becoming very big. There were a couple other swipe apps that were coming out. And it just wasn't, from a mission perspective, what I set out to build. And I also sure. just thought, from a business perspective, well, yes, we had some good momentum, but I wasn't interested in being the, like, number four or number five app like i wanted to build something really big and really game changing and it felt mm-hmm. like this other market was just sitting wide open and uh and so that's what we decided to go after all right um so like how where are we now in terms of users or downloads on a monthly or annual basis uh so we share uh i mean it's it's grown i mean very significantly the the, the original version of of hinge was uh you know, uh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, we we well, it was pre-revenue first of all, so we like never made money from the old version of Hinge, and we were in the maybe we'd gotten a million downloads or something like that. Uh, today we okay. are like far beyond that, so we are sure um, set set to do around four hundred million dollars this year, uh, and uh, you know, tens of millions of downloads, millions of relationships created. Okay. And um, so we kind of touched this a, a little bit, but um, like where was the actual, like the genesis for like this creating like the meaningful connection? I mean, you came at a, you started at a time where, you know, the dating, like the, the younger generation and people who are actually looking for, for, for love um, 
wasn't really being served in a digital space. So you saw this, but like, where did you actually have the incentive or the, the, the aha moment to actually pursue this? Uh, it really was that I was, um, it was 2015 and Hinge was, like we said, we was doing okay, but there were other competitors coming on the market who were better funded and had more liquidity. And, um, and, and this article had just come out in Vanity Fair, it's like a big publication here, uh, called mm-hmm. The Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse about how these dating apps had created this hookup culture and destroyed dating. And I went out to lunch. Uh, it was just before I was headed home for, for the Thanksgiving holiday here. And I mm-hmm. went out to lunch with my number two person at the company. And we were chatting and I was just like, God, like this is just not the company I set out to build. Um, we're not executing well. This isn't the vision that I wanted. This isn't the the culture that I wanted. And I just want to tear it all down and start over. And I kind of just said that in a moment of like exasperation and frustration. And she just looked at me and she's like, well, you know, you're the CEO. Like what's, what's stopping you? And I reflected on that and I'm like, Rob, I don't think anything's stopping me. And I, I went home over that Thanksgiving holiday and I mapped out a plan to essentially, uh, we had to let go of half the company because we had to really like reduce our burn rate and, and build something from scratch with a smaller group of people completely throughout the brand, completely throughout the code base and build something new. And it was a bit of a tough sell and there was a lot of debate, but ultimately um, it just felt like, again, that's the company that I wanted to build with the mission that I wanted. And it was also the, um, it, I think it was the biggest business opportunity, right? There was, uh, there were this like the casual end of the market, and then there's the more intention end of the market, and um, the more intention end of the market really seemed actually like a bigger market in the end. Okay, well then, uh, then let's talk about uh, how you tore it down and how you rebuilt the app. What uh, what made the cut? What didn't? How did it change? Because I'm, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the swipe feature or something akin to that was no more. And you basically made it a lot more difficult. It's the wrong word, but more intensive for people to, or less streamlined for people to sign up that people had to be more thoughtful when creating a profile and thoughtful for creating link uh, likes. Um, how, how did you actually build this app in its current most modern iteration? Yeah. So there were a few things that we wanted to, change. And it really boils down to um, having just a lot more signal in the system and a lot less noise. When we were an app that was designed around uh, more traditional social media metrics, like engagement and retention and time in app and all that stuff, then Mm -hmm. you wanted actually, in a way, like a lot of noise in the system. You just wanted like more likes, more matches, like people spending more time in the app doing more stuff. And we took the opposite tack which was uh, we actually want fewer of those things, but much higher quality. So how can we do that? And it started at the beginning with, with, with much deeper profiles where you had to upload uh, six photos and then three prompts, which was something okay. that we invented at the time, which were short questions designed to help you get into good conversation. We, added, we asked a lot of questions about vitals and where you went to school and where you were, there was just like a lot more information on the profile so that you can get a much better sense of someone. I imagine and then the you lose a lot of people we, during sign up, right? We do. And we lose, even today we lose over 20% of our people during sign up. And 
again, if you were looking at traditional social media metrics, you would think like that's yeah. insane. Absolutely. But on the other hand, the people who make it through uh, okay. are really intentioned people who are like invested in the experience and it creates a much better community on the, on the other side. Okay. So that was one piece of it. The next piece is we got rid of the swipe feature. And instead of just liking people, yes or no, based on a, on a single photo, uh, you actually had to engage and like with a, a part of their profile. Uh, it was that you could, um, you know, if you saw the prompt that you liked or the particular photo that you liked, then you could like that thing and send a message. Okay. And that made people way more thoughtful and way more selective in terms of who they were liking and who they were passing on. Because if you have to go through all that extra effort, you're not so casual with just your likes. And, were you able to quantify um, combination that? Of, Sorry, I, I was just curious whether or not, so like you, you have like yeah. um, fewer um, instances of, of engagement, but were you able to like kind of quantify those fewer instances more or in a more meaningful way that um, had a more positive impact on the app? Right, so fewer, so fewer likes happened uh, and fewer matches, but more... Uh, more conversations and more dates. So it would like down funnel it more than made up for it. And we were actually in, ending up creating more than uh, twice the dates per user that we were creating before because people were slowing down. And we, and at the time, by the way, we actually implemented something called we met because before we didn't even know whether people were ever going on dates. Like our, our the, the furthest down the funnel we got was like, they matched. Okay, great. Like we're mm-hmm. done. And we started measuring whether people were exchanging contact information. If they did, we would follow up with a survey and say, did you meet this person? Was it a good date? Okay. And um, in, the, in the early days, about 50 to 60% of people would say that the, the date was good. And over time, we've gotten that up to the high 70s. Again, because of like the much deeper profiles. And by the time you get up on a, on a date with someone, you are confident that this is actually going to be a good date, that someone that you're actually really going to like. And, and so is, I can yeah. keep going through the funnel, like every step of the way, it's just much more thoughtful and much more intentioned. We mm-hmm. deliver every like, it's not a double opt in. So there's no strategy of just liking people and seeing if they like you back because mm-hmm. you don't have to like someone to see if they like you back. If someone likes you, we just deliver it to you. All okay. of that means that our algorithm has to be much more thoughtful because uh, we don't want to overexpose someone and get them too many likes. So the whole process is just more balanced and much higher signal. Okay. Um, I just wanted to get back to the, uh, to the follow-up on whether or not people went out on dates and whether or not they were a good, whether or not they had a good time or not. Um, was that not commonplace in the dating space, the dating app space? Because I mean, I think about like, you know, every time, like, you know, I order something through DoorDash or through Amazon, like I'm constantly getting all the barrage, uh, barrage of emails, like just with like if I, how happy I am. And that seems like it was not the case in the dating space. Yeah, and I think it ultimately gets to designed to be deleted and what we're all about and changing mm-hmm. our North Star metric from business metrics like just revenue or time and app or engagement or monthly active users and changing our North Star metric to great dates per user okay. and aligning ourselves with our users' interests and why they came to us because we felt that ultimately if we deliver to users what they came to us for, which is great dates, then we're going to mm-hmm. succeed in the end. And we don't want to get distracted by some of those like um, more near-term metrics like monthly active users, time and app, all that stuff. Okay. All right. Now, um, yeah, and I, so, we, so, we, so we measured it, but I think that other, other apps are just like, not on their radar. Okay, gotcha. Um, I wanted to ask, um, uh, also uh, going through uh, the, the app and uh, just researching um, 
just the history of the app and the current iteration and everything, um, I came across something that just completely stood out to me, and that was Nobel Prize winning algorithm. Um, how, how does one get a prize for an algorithm? Tell me about that. This is, this is incredible. We did not win the Nobel prize. This was a, this was an algorithm that was developed in the 1960s that won a Nobel prize. Okay. Um, but we run, we, we have something called, we, yeah, that was not before my time. Uh, and, uh, but we use something called the Gale Shapley algorithm, which solves the, um, okay. it's called the stable marriage problem. If you have, uh, you know, 100 people on one side and 100 people on the other, and you kind of know how each person likes each other, how do you match mm-hmm. them up in a way that's stable so that no two people would want to trade? And we kind of run that algorithm across our user base every day, and we call it most compatible. And we just pair you up with someone that we think you're most likely to like, who's most likely to like you back. All right. Uh, you really didn't have to reinvent the wheel then. Uh, it's been around for since, for, uh, since the 60s, but that's uh, very it, it, fantastic marketing or fantastic uh, find and pull there. That's great. Um, I do want to ask then um, how, like, so your, your app is designed to be deleted. That means like there's ideally there's a finite amount of time that you're going to have users in your ecosystem um, so that you're constantly having to acquire new users. And so how do you go about getting the word out on Hinge, um, how, how do you grow the app? The big bet for us is that we grow the app through word of mouth. And that's why I think we had a, sm- like a slower start in the beginning and why we're growing so quickly now. It's the miracle mm-hmm. of compound growth. And we, like by delivering on what we said we want to do mm-hmm. for our users and, um, uh, and giving them out on great dates, then they go out and tell their friends that... Um, they had a great date or they met this person or they're at a wedding that are at a hinge wedding. We had uh, a really big accelerant to us as we as a presidential candidate in the U S Pete Buttigieg mm-hmm. who, uh, met his partner on hinge. And so that word of mouth is really the fuel for how we've started to grow. And then of course, as we launched new markets in you know, Germany, um, most recently, we of course do campaigns to make mm-hmm. sure people understand and just are aware of us and, and they are aware of our positioning that we're the app designed to be deleted. And we have the little hingy character who uh, gets killed as you know, people fall in love <laughs> and you know, we just want to be super dialed and clear about our positioning. But after sure. that, we don't do a lot of the more traditional marketing. We don't pay big celebrities. We don't do big stunts. We try to have, we try to be in the in the cultural conversation around mm-hmm. dating, especially with up and coming creators. Uh, we just did a campaign called "Not Frequently Asked Questions" because a huge proportion of our um, users are uh, identify as LGBTQ or queer, mm-hmm. and uh, we there's we realized that there just weren't great dating resources for for um, people identify as queer. So we've been working with uh, queer influencers to answer questions that. Um, okay. they've been asking about dating life and, and then doing billboards around that. So that's the kind of marketing that we do, but not so much the sort of like stunts and big celebrities and things like that. That's just not on the radar. Well, I mean, even like in a digital space, I mean, um, your, the, your Instagram uh, page is nine tiles, which is very, stands out. Like you have those nine posts where it's just like all revolved around like the H, I believe, in the middle of the hinge. Um, and other, other than that, like you see these um, 
these billboards around town, even like here in Hamburg, where where I'm at at the moment, and it's very clear. Even uh, my producer here, Lily, um, she'd said like she'd seen the the billboards around town, and she immediately knew what it was, like in, in connection with the tagline and with the little hingy guy, and so it's like very effective, I guess, or like clear marketing. Um, but you don't go through any of these digital channels, really. You have influencers, but you just stray away from that, and you just completely rely on word of mouth. Uh, yeah, for the most part. Again, we you know, there are influencers out there talking about us on their social channels. We don't maintain our own social sure. channels. We don't have. We don't use our Instagram. Uh, yeah, we really just ultimately believe if you build a great product and make sure people are aware of it, then you don't have to you know spend too much time putting okay. lipstick on it. Fair enough. Um, so you mentioned that um, you recently engaged in some influencer partnerships for the queer community. Who else are you targeting? Who's your audience consist of? Yeah, our big our big focus for growth right now. One is a huge one is is Europe. So mm-hmm. we launched in Germany. Uh, we've launched in the Nordics and most recently in France just uh, last month. And we're going to continue rolling out uh, across Europe. We are doing Spain and Italy next month. Okay. Uh, so that's a big focus for us. Um, LGBTQ in the queer community is a really big focus for us. Um, those are really um, two of our fastest uh, growth markets. And then the third growth market for us that's really interesting is is Gen Z. When, when I started Hinge, I kind of imagined this was going to be an app for people in their kind of like mid-20s and up. And mm-hmm. interestingly, our fastest growing segment is 18 to 24, uh, which is... Um, not immediately intuitive when you position yourself as this app that's like designed to be deleted, find your person, mm-hmm. like get rid of dating apps. But I think our approach of authenticity and vulnerability and depth is regardless of kind of what stage you're in, people are really looking for deeper, more quality connections, even if it's for something a little bit shorter term or a little bit more open-ended in terms of you know, mm-hmm. not as like intention as like, I'm looking for my partner and I want to get out of here. And it's been really interesting to see how much that's been resonating with the, with the next generation. All right. So now you mentioned, I mean, you, um, like I had mentioned, um, I'm in Hamburg. This is our home base for Omar. And you launched, uh, you've actually been t- uh, to the office uh, last October, right before the launch into Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, right and- around that time. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, um, as far as um, the international hinge and the international hinge community is concerned, like how the audiences um, kind of differ, if there is a difference um, between like not only reaching them, I mean, from what I can tell, you're using the same marketing um, uh, campaigns like billboards and other than that, just word of mouth to get the word out in new markets. But if like the users vary greatly and um, if, or if there's just basically like this universal urge and desire to find somebody within the same type of uh, uh, amount of time, um, does it change a lot based on country to country? I think the I think the kind of psychographic is like it's a, we're tapping into a pretty universal deep need for people to find deep and meaningful human connection with each other. Mm-hmm. So that I think is is consistent. Now, are we seeing nuances in the market in terms of how they're reacting? For example, I think uh, Germany is very uh, sensitive about data privacy and sharing a lot of information. So our very long sign up flow <laughs> process, I think, feels a little. Uh, Invasive, uh, foreign to yeah, <laughs> yeah. Invasive might be another word. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say invasive, but uh, so 
and and we're looking at that. So we're adjusting that and figuring out like what really makes sense and what needs to be there and how we're going to adjust it for different markets. Um, so that that's one piece of it. Um, we're really thinking about how we localize also the prompts, for example. I don't mm-hmm. think like the prompts are universal. There's there's opportunity to really like tap into the cultural nuance in different uh, countries or regions. So we're looking at those kinds of localization strategies. But I think the deep... Uh, you know, need that we're serving with that we're very much designed around as a company is the same, which is really using authenticity and vulnerability and mm-hmm. uh, to help people, you know, find those really great, deep, meaningful connections. Right. Now, um, so when you tap into like kind of local nuances, as somebody who's a trained translator um, and somebody who's like dealt with that, whole shebang for the majority of my professional career, how do you go about finding, I, I mean, I, I assume pretty much positive, you have to like set up a local team in each market, but how do you go about finding the right team if you don't really have a connection to that culture? Uh, well, uh, you know, we have a, a really incredible marketing team that has mm-hmm. a, that we've been hiring people on the ground that we've learned to you know, that, that we think does have a pretty good sense of, of the culture. And, uh, so we work with local agencies, we work with local PR firms, we work with, uh, we have local, uh, employees Mm -hmm. and that gives us, I think, a much better sense of, of how to enter the market. And you give them a, a fair amount of autonomy uh, as far as like localizing the prompts and stuff like this would work here in Germany, this one wouldn't work. Yeah. These are all things that we're, I mean, we just launched at the end of last year and these are all things that we are now learning about the market and building into the product mm-hmm. in partnership with them right now. Okay. All right. And how is it going? Would you say, uh, you said it's been a little bit slower in Germany and you've like realized that uh, maybe Germans are a little bit um, information abra- uh, uh sensitive where they don't want to divulge too much to some app based in the US. Um, but how would you say, generally speaking, how, how has it been received? Uh, actually, our our growth internationally outside of the US, especially in Europe, has been even better than it's been in the US. So in the UK, which is our first market in Europe, mm-hmm. we uh, are sort of vying for the number one position right now. We are the number one app in January, one number one dating app in January. Uh, in Germany, we within the first few months, we went from, I think, the number 20 dating app to the number three dating app, Mm -hmm. um, where we've been holding on pretty strong. We're the number two dating app in the Nordics. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're sort of running up the charts in in France uh, and had like sort of already vying for the top position there. So uh, overall, you know, despite like, you know, the longer sign up flow, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a real need because I think it's a very differentiated product relative to a lot of the other apps that are on the market for the younger generation from people in their twenties and thirties. And okay. so I think that's helped us uh, tremendously. And how does the business, uh, the business model is probably the same, I would imagine subscription based um, in the U S and also abroad. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. It's, it's subscription based. Um, we make money from our users. We don't do advertising. Okay. Uh, and um, yeah. And we think that that's an essential part of, you know, creating a, a a service like this because it's really you know part of the product is the, is the product and the product that we design and but sure. most of the product is actually the people who are on it 
right? Ultimately, you you came to a dating app at the end of the day, not for the dating app experience, but for the the people that you're going to meet on it. Right. And so by creating a, a freemium model where the the free experience is is great and and frankly good enough, uh, more than good enough, mm-hmm. then you like attract a large group of people who like want to stay and use your app, which is like the most it's the lifeblood for for Hinge. Sure. Um, so like how many, uh, like what's included in the freemium, um, version? Like, do you get, I would imagine a, a specific allotment of likes and then afterwards you have to pay for more. Um, maybe your, your usage rate is capped out on a, on a daily basis. I don't know. Um, what, what's in the freemium? So we have two different tiers of freemium. We have hinge plus and hinge X. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and essentially our philosophy at hinge is we charge for the things that we can't give away for free. We charge mm-hmm. for things that um, they're valuable because they're scarce, like uh, a, a rose or a super like uh, a boost, right? If everyone's boosting, then no one's boosting. If right. everyone if everyone has like a super like, then no one they're like they're not worth anything. So there are things like that, or there are things that generally would harm the ecosystem if everyone had them, but they could be advantageous for those who really care about them. So that's the that's kind of the monetization philosophy. So we have two mm-hmm. tiers: Hinge Plus. It's just the sort of unblocked experience of Hinge. You get unlimited likes. Um, you get to see everyone who likes you uh, in a grid for free. You get uh, advanced preferences and things like that. And then um, Hinge X is actually kind of the uh, premium access, uh, priority access version of Hinge, where um, you get enhanced access in your Discover. Every like you send sort of gets prioritized and stays pinned to the top in people that you um uh, with people that you like Mm -hmm. and so what we see is that hinge plus users go on about um 2x as many dates and hinge x is um people actually end up going on about 4x as many dates as for the free user experience okay so pretty much like both of those things are engagement drivers or retention drivers not engagement so much but just retention that keeps people locked into the app um, at least a little bit, like they take it more seriously until they find somebody. Yeah, I, w- I would call it effectiveness. I mean, I think in a way they're like, if you're going on four times as many dates, that's four times as fast that you're potentially probably going to like meet your person and probably four times as fast as you're going to end up deleting the app. So I would say it's like more like a accelerant to your process so that you can find the right person okay. sooner. And have you actually, um, how long does it take most people, would you say, to to find that person? Like I'm sure you've got that measured somewhere um, as far as like an average you know, uh, Hinge user from the time they come in for how many dates they go on. Do you quantify that at all? Yeah, we see people, uh, we see people, you know, stick around for like three to six months, mm-hmm. um, kind of on average. There's a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of people who, uh, in fact, my cousin was on it for 12 hours before she found uh, her <laughs> husband. So uh <laughs> that's really good i, I hear those stories <laughs> what are you doing this weekend getting hitched uh, yeah <laughs> yeah well sorry they dated much longer but i i know i i, I figured that, yeah, yeah. that would have been presumptuous uh and so i you know i hear a lot of stories it's like the first date or the first match or something like that and uh-huh. obviously like some people are on it for longer it depends on what stage you are in your life but um all right we do find it's people find it quite effective. All right, excellent. So uh, we touched a little bit um, on the um, internationalization plans for Hinge and the expansion. Uh, what is what is next? What are the next two, two to three years hold for Hinge? Yeah, I think we're still, like obviously the international expansion is a big piece of it and Europe is a big focus for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just think that we are still 
in the early stages of innovation. Like, I don't think that dating is a solved problem in the least. I think that even this model of creating a, you know, personal ad essentially that gets put in a queue that people just kind of like vote up or down and then you match and you get dumped into a chat and you just kind of have to like figure it out from there and how to like, I think it's actually still um, a relatively primitive process in terms of what uh, our capabilities are. I think that there's been a lot of conversation around uh, machine learning and AI. And I think that actually is going to be a very big accelerant to um, what we're able to do in, in so? dating. Uh, I think there's kind of two aspects of it. One is the the matching side and one is the, I'll call it the coaching side. So on the okay. matching side, being able to learn your taste much better, um, being able to have more responsive algorithms. So instead of just saying yes, no, and we have to kind of interpret what it is that you like and don't like being able to sort of be um, have a a bit more of like a conversational relationship with your algorithm. Like I want more people like this, less people like this, please uh, is one dimension of it. And just like learning tastes much, much better because it's actually quite a hard problem to learn people's tastes because the data is very scattered. It's Mm -hmm. not like a music app um, where you have, you know, tens of millions of people rating the same, you know, 500,000, 10,000 artists. This is a world where you're trying to match one-to-one across populations of tens of millions. And so the data is very, very sparse. And so the more that you can pick up on um, patterns, Mm -hmm. like through using machine learning, like the better you can get on people's, learning people's taste. So that's like one side of the equation. Sure. The other side of the equation I would call the coaching side is actually probably the more interesting side, which is that some people are great at dating and an even smaller subset are great at, you know, like dating apps. But most of us, like, don't really know the best way to set up uh, a great profile, don't really know how to get a conversation going or to move a conversation that's going well to a date. Mm-hmm. And helping, nudging people along that process and helping them along the way uh, with just the right advice at just the right time, I think is a really, really big opportunity that can be a huge accelerant um, for effectiveness and, frankly, through expanding the category. Because I think it's a big blocker for a lot of people who uh, are uh, reluctant to use dating apps or just haven't found success. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, I could have used a dating coach when I was younger and awkward. Um, it's like, it could be a big help. <laughs> that could have been. I'm sure somebody else would find that to be very helpful. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't been there, people? Um, Justin, you also are going to be joining us here on uh, May 9th uh, and or 10th in Hamburg at the OMR Festival. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, you're going to be giving a, a little keynote. Um, I'm sure you've already got it uh, nailed down to a T, already completely prepped through, practiced it, had a few run-throughs. <laughs> um, no, all kidding aside, um, we're very uh, thank you very much for, for joining me here. I hope we can catch up at the festival. Um, I, and um, if you, I don't know how much you know about the festival, but um, it's, a, it's a pretty big trip. Um, it's, it's a wild situation. Um, and uh, I think everybody there is going to be fascinated to hear the Hinge story and what you have to say about it in person. Justin Great. Hinge. I'm excited. Yes, Justin, thank you so much for joining me. All the best. Thank you. Thank you.